Praise God forevermore. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. He is dependable. He is absolutely dependable. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Let's stand for a moment and let's open up our hearts and believe for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to deposit his truths in us. Amen. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the Holy Spirit of God that has come to lead us and to guide us into all truth and into the reality of what Jesus has accomplished for us into all of this victory that has been paid for that now belongs to us. Father, we thank you right now for the Holy Spirit opening up our eyes of our understanding. For he is the great communicator. He is the one that is able to take the things that, are, that belong to Christ and reveal them to us because they belong to us. So I thank you for the anointing that breaks the yoke and the bondage of, 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 of darkness and ignorance and that causes light to come forth, that causes understanding. I thank you, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Genesis chapter 1. Hallelujah. Now, I'm teaching on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And today, I want to focus on this aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, in fact... <laughs> In a way, it's almost a summary of the entire ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that is to establish you in righteousness. Now, if the you is a you that is not born again, then it is to bring you into righteousness. And if the you is the you where you're already born again, it is to get you to be established in righteousness. In other words, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to every person on this planet is first of all to bring them into righteousness to the new birth, and then secondly, as they are born again, to cause you to become established in righteousness. Now, there is an enemy out there. But when we go back, when we go back to Genesis, we see that from the very first verse, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, God is awesome. Whatever God does is perfect. When God created the heaven and the earth, I believe it was absolutely perfect. And there was design, order, and beauty. But then we see in verse 2 that the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. We see chaos. What happened? Well, we, 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 from the study of the word of God, we know that the enemy was kicked out of heaven. And somehow when he was kicked out, some kind of catastrophic destruction took place. So that this wonderful, beautiful 
thing that God had created, the heaven and the earth, all of a sudden now there was disorder. There was it was without form and void, which in a case, which is an indication of the destructive nature of the enemy. He wants to destroy. He wants to destroy anything that is beautiful. He wants to destroy the plan of God. He wants to destroy you and I. He wants to destroy homes. He wants to destroy our physical bodies. He is a destroyer. Amen? But Jesus has come that we might have life. God is a light giver. So, here is this total disorder, but then we also see that the, the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then when they, out of that disorder, there came order. The moving of the Spirit of God and the Word of God created divine order. And then God went another step further. And then God said in verse, in verse 26, He said, let us make man... In our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them. God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. Now, we're talking about the Holy Spirit um, bringing men into righteousness and establishing us in righteousness. Now, let's, let me just put a little bit of a definition or comprehension of a righteousness that we could refer to as we go through this study um, this morning. Righteousness, there are four aspects of righteousness that I believe are, are, are significant. Number one, it is, it is um, the oneness that we have with God. Number two, it is the authority we have that comes out of that oneness because here we are, we are the sons of God, amen? And then number three, it is the rights and the privilege we have as sons of God and as citizens of heaven. There are rights that we have. And then number four, there is what we call right standing, which is basically as if sin has never been. Well, if sin has never been and, and, and there, there is no guilt, there is no shame, there is no insecurity, there is no inferiority, there is no condemnation. Amen? So in the right standing aspect, there is none of these things. No condemnation, no sin, no insecurity, no inferiority, no guilt, but rather there is this oneness that we have with God. Amen? So that is the very essence of righteousness. Now, from the very beginning, from before the foundation of the world, the plan and the purpose of God was for us to be righteous, for us to be one with him, for us to have authority, to, for us to be as if sin has never been, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation, no inferiority, no insecurity, for us to have the rights and the privileges of the sons of God. So here, um, and of course they never want to disrupt that, but, so, but here we see Genesis 1, 26, that, that very essence of the righteousness that God desires being expressed, the, the righteousness for us, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That there again, right there it's speaking about that oneness. Let them have dominion. There it speaks about their authority. And then of course we do know that it is as if sin, sin did not exist at that point, And therefore there was no knowledge of sin. And as a result there was no guilt, no shame, no insecurity, no inferiority, or any other such thing. And God blessed them. They had rights and privileges. Are you with me? Can you just see, can you see righteousness in there? Mm -hmm. 
All right. So, from the very beginning, it was the will and the plan of God for us to be righteous. It was the, it was the, it, that was important. But then the fall came. And after the fall came, sin entered in, and by sin, death, and all the condemnation, and all the shame, and then, I mean, the, the devil became the God of this world, we lost our authority, and all of that. But Jesus went to the cross, did he not? Yeah. We know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he was rich, for your sake and mine, he became poor, that we might be made rich. He came to lift us up, so that by the resurrection, we have been born again to a living hope, the Bible said. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that Jesus was made to be sin for us. So that we might be what? Made the righteousness of God in Christ. So, in, in, in view of that, Jesus said in John chapter 19, verse 30, when he was on the cross, he said it is finished. He was saying what was finished and what was going to be finished prophetically. And that it is finished what in, that, in that the price has been paid and because of the sacrifice... We are, we can be made righteous. Amen? It, it, say it is finished. It is finished. So that when you are born again, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ, which God originally intended. Now the devil would like to hide that from us so that we don't come into that righteousness. So that we don't walk in it. So that we don't become established in it. And if you're not born again, that you might not even receive it. But you see, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to, is to make sure, is to get to every individual and to convict him of sin, righteousness, and judgment and bring him into righteousness. And as you and I are born again, for him to teach us, for we his children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be our peace, and in righteousness we shall be established. Amen? Isaiah 54, verse 13 and 16. So, but let's, 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 let's get, get a hold of this. This, this, let's make this connection. So here the plan of God is righteousness. The fall took place. Jesus came. He paid it. He, through his sacrifice, he became sin so that we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. So then the purpose of the sacrifice was to make man righteous. Can you see that? That was the purpose of the sacrifice. Now interestingly enough, I would think that if the purpose of the sacrifice was to make men righteous, then I should, we should not be surprised if the very essence of the sacrifice will also cause us to be established in righteousness. And we're going to come to that. Now, it is the will of God that, as, that, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, He would so teach us and unveil the sacrifice to us in such a manner that He will cause us by the revelation and the application of the sacrifice of Christ that we will become established in righteousness. That is what Isaiah 54 verse 13 and 14 is speaking about. Isaiah 54 verse 13 says, My children will be taught of the Lord. Well, the Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher. He is the teacher. Jesus says when he is come, he will teach us what? All things. So my children will be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace, their wholeness. And in righteousness, they shall be established. So let me put it this way. The Holy Spirit is the minister that is responsible to bring us into righteousness, cause us to be established in righteousness. Is as if he is the executor or the, the establisher, so to speak, in righteousness. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 3. 
Now the sacrifice of Christ has been done, has it not? Jesus has gone to the cross. He has been buried. He has been resurrected. He is sitting at the Father's right hand. He has poured out his blood. He has given us his name. We now have Christ within us, the hope of glory. We have his life. We have partakers of his divine nature. And we've got the great and precious promises. Amen? Say, it is finished. It is finished. So we are at the point where it's after the sacrifice, but it's about application and revelation of the sacrifice. So, in, 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 and, and, to, and for that, is the Holy Spirit, that is the essence of his ministry to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and, um, okay, let me just, just to set it up, let me read verse 6. Who also had made us able ministers of this new covenant, this new testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministration or the dispensation of death that was written and engraven in stones, if that was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was, was to be done away with and was fading away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. And it's talked about the ministration of the Spirit, but then in verse 9, it calls it the ministration of what? Righteousness. We are in the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost um, ministry and objective is to bring men into righteousness and cause them to be established in righteousness. Amen? For the sinner, the people that don't know the Lord, the Bible says it in John chapter 16, um, verse 8, Jesus says, well, in John 16, verse 8, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world, the, those that didn't know God. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Amen? He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. But as for you and I who are born again, the Bible says he will lead us and guide us into all truth into all reality. He will take the things that Jesus has done, the things that belong to Jesus, and reveal them unto us because they belong to us. And that really speaks about the victory and all that he's accomplished. But let's put it this way. Where the believer is concerned, the Bible says in Psalms 23 and verse 3, he will lead us in the paths of what? Righteousness for his name's sake. In Psalms 85, in Psalms 85 and in verse 13, it says, righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the ways of his steps. You and I are righteous. The Bible says in Psalms 37 and verse 23, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Amen? We are led by the Spirit of God to walk in righteousness, to walk in the reality of our authority, and to walk in the reality of our oneness with God, to walk in the reality of the rights and the privileges that we have, to walk in the reality of the freedom from condemnation and shame and insecurity and inferiority, as if sin has never been, for us to walk in that reality. He said he will lead us in the path of righteousness. Now look at Isaiah chapter 48. Now here is the point. The point is, the point is this. The Holy Spirit has a ministry to you and I, and it is to so unveil the sacrifice of Christ, and it is to bring, give us an experiential reality of it so that we might be established in righteousness. 
in our authority, in the reality of who we are, in the oneness that we have with God, in the freedom and the liberty that the blood has paid for. No guilt, no shame, no insecurity. They are not even our past having a voice in our lives. Are you with me? That is his ministry. Hallelujah. Isaiah 48. Now, you know, Isaiah is this prophetic um, uh, uh, prophet and book of the Bible that, that, saw the, that saw the ministry of Christ and so on and so forth. Isaiah 48 and verse, verse um, 17 says, Thus says the Lord, thy Redeemer, does that sound like sacrifice? Thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee, the Holy Spirit teaches, the Holy Spirit leads, lead thee by the way that thou shouldest go. He leads us in the path of righteousness. Oh, that you would hearken to my commandments. Listen to me. And by the way, one of the things he's going to command is be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's a command. Right? And, um, and if you would hearken to my commandment, then had thy peace been as a river and your righteousness as the waves of the sea. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, teaching, leading, guiding us. He said if we would just hearken unto him, we are going to operate in righteousness as the waves of the sea, we're going to become established in it. Are you with me? All right. So, now, to emphasize this even further, here is Jesus. He's raised up from the dead. He's speaking to his disciples. The ones that he has commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And here is Jesus. He's, he's already taken his blood to the throne room of, 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 of God, to the mercy seat. And he says in, in Matthew 28, verse 18, All power has been given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. He says in Revelation 1, verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I've got the keys of hell and death and of the grave. It says that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. He says, I'll be self-hating like lightning falling to the ground. In John chapter 20, verse 22, when the disciples were gathered in the room and he appeared among them, the Bible says he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Ghost. So here is Jesus resurrected, the sacrifice is complete, and, it's, and, all, and he said it's finished. He's defeated hell, death, the grave, spoiled principalities and powers and everything else. But yet, as if that's not enough, he says to his disciples, wait, tarry ye here in Jerusalem. Stay here until you receive power from on high after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. In other words, my sacrifice is awesome, but yet I'm telling you, wait until you receive power from on high. It says that in Luke 24, verse 49. It says that in Acts chapter 1, from verse 4 to 8, and then, of course, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost did come in Acts chapter 2. Why was that? Why would Jesus be saying that? Because, you see, as awesome as the sacrifice is, we need the Holy Ghost to reveal it and to help us to apply it so that we can have what Jesus has accomplished for us by his sacrifice. Does that make sense? Amen? So, 
Um, and again, it, 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 so you know, you got to have this unveiling and application of the sacrifice. And this is not possible without the Holy Spirit. It's not possible without the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you need that sacrifice to be established in, in who you are, what you what belongs to you, and so on. And we need the Holy Spirit. So, so then, for that reason, Jesus says, turn to me to John chapter 16. Now, Jesus understood that absolutely clearly. And on many occasions, Jesus keeps pointing. He says, look, there's going to be another comforter like me that is going to come. He's going to be with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Right? He's not only going to be with you, but he's going to be in you. I'm going to send him. He's going to proceed from the Father. And when he is come, when he is come, when he is come. Are you with me? Jesus understood the absolute necessity of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to come and, and magnify both him and what he had done and make it real to us. He is the spirit of truth. What does that mean? The ultimate reality. He has to make the things of God real to you and I. Are you with me? He is the spirit of? the spirit of reality. All right. All right. So in John chapter 16, Jesus said in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And don't forget that this time the disciples were somewhat sorrowful because Jesus was going to be leaving. He was going to be going away. And, and, um, and, and so sorrow had filled their heart, it says in verse 6. He says, Nevertheless, I understand how sorrowful you are. I understand that. But I'll tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter will not come unto you. He will not come. And he, has, he needs to come. If I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The Amplified says, I'm telling you nothing but the truth. When I say it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you. That I go away. <coughs> because if I do not go away, the comforter will not come. It is expedient. It is to our advantage. Now, and then he goes on to say, in verse 8, And when he is coming, he will reprove the word of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because I go to my father. Of, of righteousness, sorry, of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. But Jesus says he's going to convict the world. In other words, when someone is not born again and they're in the world, the Holy Spirit's immediate responsibility or ministry to them is to convince them of sin because of not believing of Jesus. In other words, then, it is to say... Is to convince them that the only way they can be saved and have heaven as their home and have God in their heart and in their life is they must believe on Jesus. What takes people to hell is not all the wrong things they did, but it's because of rejecting and not receiving Jesus. Isn't that right? And he's convinced them of sin and he convinced them of righteousness because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and has paid the price. And then of judgment because the prince of this world, the devil, has been defeated. So that ministry to the unbeliever 
is one that is birthed right out of the, the out of the sacrifice. The conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment are all connected to the sacrifice. The issue of righteousness, the issue of the, the judgment, um, conviction word of, of, of judgment because the, because the prince of this world is judged. What is that talking about? In John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And that lifting up was talking about that cross. And it is connected directly to the prince of this world being cast out. Are you with me? In other words, when he's talking about the judgment, the defeat of the enemy, us being made, the righteousness that is common is available to all men because Jesus is the right hand of the Father, or whether it be the conviction of sin because of rejection of Jesus, all has to do with the sacrifice. So the ministry to the unbeliever by the Holy Spirit is making, is to bring them into righteousness through, 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 through this, the preaching of the cross, to what we call the gospel. The Bible says in um, as many as receive Jesus, to them give you power to become the sons of God. That's talking about being born again. In John chapter 3, it, it says the fact that, that um, it, it, sorry, in Romans 10 verse 9, it says, if you shall confess with your mouth, for the person that may not know the Lord, that is still in the word, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you believe the sacrifice, Jesus died for you and he was raised from the dead, receive him into your heart, receive him into your life, and you're saved. God gives you the power to become the sons of God. Now, every single one that is born of God, the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 5 to 8, that they are born of the Spirit. Let me read that to you. Everyone that is born again, John chapter 3, from verse 5, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, born of the Word and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvelous I say unto you that you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but you can't tell, you, you cannot tell whence it cometh and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. When someone is born again and they confess Jesus as Lord and they believe in their heart that God has raised them from the dead and they become supernaturally divinely born again, the Bible says they're born of the Spirit of God. And according to Ephesians 1 verse 13, the moment they get born again, after that they believe, they are sealed by the Holy Ghost. Romans 8 verse 9, Romans 8 and, and verse 9 says, that, it, it, that you are not in the flesh when they are born again, but they are in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in them. And if any man don't have the spirit of God, he's none of his. I say all of that to say this. Everyone that is born again is born of the spirit of God, is sealed by the Holy Ghost. So we cannot say that someone that is born again, if they're not baptized, as we call, speak about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the speaking of tongues or, or being filled with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Ghost falling upon them, we cannot say that if someone is not baptized with the Holy Ghost, that they don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not correct. Because the Word of God says they're born of the Spirit and they're sealed by the Holy Ghost. Amen? So let's be clear about that. First Corinthians 6 verse 17 says, um, He that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. 
The Bible says in, in the epistle of John that he receives the witness, which is the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 16 says, this, the Spirit of God bears witness with his spirit that he's a child of God. So everyone that is born of God does have, I don't know what they call it, maybe they want to call it a measure of the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit, or whatever the case is, but you can't say he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. However, the Bible, but in all those references, some of it I just mentioned, that have to do with the person being born again and having the Holy Spirit, none of them speak in the context of them having the, um, speak in the context of the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me just give you uh, just a few scriptures along that line. In Luke chapter 24, and I think this is important. It is important because as much as someone can be is born again and they're sealed by the Spirit of God and they have the Spirit of God, yet at the same time, there is an experience that is declared in the Word of God called the baptism of the Holy Ghost that every believer that is born again ought to have. And there are reasons for that. And he, because without it, he is he's a believer He's born again, and his spirit is perfected forever, and everything else. But it's like if you're walking around spiritually, handicapped when there's a devil that wants to destroy and wipe you out. And with your hand tied above, uh, behind your back. Whereas when you're born again, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you have what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that I'm going to get into in a little while, then you are better equipped. And Jesus understood that. So he told the disciples, hey... Even though in John 20, verse 22, he had breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Yet he said, wait here. Wait here in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, it says, And behold, I said the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That phrase, power from on high, is not used in any of the other references of being born of the Spirit, being sealed by the Spirit. He that joined the Lord is one Spirit. That phrase is not used anywhere else. Again, in Acts chapter 1 and verse... Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power. <coughs> After that, and again, it was the same thing. Tell him, don't... Um, in verse 4, he said, being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. He commanded them, wait for the promise of the Holy of the Father. I believe that command is still out there today. That when you are born again, you're born of the Spirit of God, I think Jesus commands you and he says, basically, wait and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you will be witnesses unto me. I believe that's a command for every single believer. No matter what the denominational background is. And we're going to explore a little bit why. Hallelujah. You see in John chapter 14. With the story of the woman at the well. When Jesus. Not John chapter 14. John chapter 4. That's not right. John chapter 4. Um, with the story of the woman at the well. In John 4 verse 13. Jesus said. Whosoever shall drink of this water will thirst again. But whosoever, whosoever is who? Whosoever is anybody. Am I right? The drink of this water that, that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. So this is talking about everlasting life. This is talking about being born again. But turn with me to John chapter 7. Verse 37. 
In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, he that believeth on me, is, this is not whosoever anymore. Is this whosoever? No, this is whosoever believeth on him. We know from John 1, 12, that, 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 that as many as receive him, that even believe on his name, receive the power to become the sons of God, become children of God. We know that they that believe shall be saved. Amen? So it says, he that believes on me, that's any believer, every believer, this is written to believers. As the scripture had said, out of his belly, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. We're talking about rivers of living water. We're not just talking about the fountain. And then it says, just to make sure that we got it, it says, but this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. They that believe on him, that were sealed by the Holy Ghost, that were born of the spirit, that they should receive. Should. The meaning might choose not to. God is desiring and commanding that we should. Every believer. No matter what any denomination, none tag or anything says, is what the word of God says. Amen. So, let's, 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 let's look at that just a little bit. Now, there, there's, there's, there's at least five references in the book of Acts that speaks about that, this experience that we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so to speak. Let us, let's just run through a couple of them very quickly. But again, you see in, in those verses, it, 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 um, it speaks about the power of the Holy Spirit. It speaks about, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And in those cases, it was talking about this experience that is in addition to being, quote, born again. Now let's look at the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. Well, verse 2. Well, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared on them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were filled, say filled, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. Was it speaking of the tongues of filling? No. The tongues was the evidence that they were filled. They, they were filled and began to speak with tongues. Now what we will find is that in the five references in the book of Acts, each and every one of them, four of them directly, says that the infilling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit falling upon them was each accompanied with this evidence of speaking in other towns. Amen? Anyway, but here is one case. Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 8. Let's look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now when the apostles were, were Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent out to them Peter and John. In other words, these folks had gotten born again. They had received the word of God. Who, when they were come down, they prayed for them that they might now what? Receive the Holy Ghost. They were already born again. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. And they call this the Holy Spirit falling on none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Were they water baptized? Yes. Were they born again? Yes. But we see them here receiving the Holy Spirit, which is defined here as falling upon them. And then they laid their hands on them that they might receive the Holy Ghost 
right? And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money so that he could have the same power. Now, my question is, what did, how could Simon saw that the Holy Ghost was given to them? How can you see the Holy Ghost was given to somebody? How would you know? Right? Did he see the Holy Ghost fall? What, what did he see? What did he see? What, what appeals to his senses? We, I believe that, uh, that what happened is that he saw and he heard them speaking in other tongues. How do you know many times people are filled with the Holy Ghost when you he, hear them speaking in other tongues? Is it not? So this is not a direct reference, but it's indication that the fact that he saw something, what did he see? And we believe it was the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in terms of speaking in other tongues. In the book of Acts chapter 9, and verse 17, this is Paul. We know Paul had gotten born again on the road to Damascus. Was Paul born again? Absolutely. And then in verse 17, Ananias went his way. God had spoken to Ananias to go and pray for Saul. So Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way of thou as thou comest had sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately they fell from his eyes as it had been scared and he received his sight portrait and arose and he was baptized, etc., etc. Now here again, it doesn't say about Paul speaking in tongues, but we know from the first minute, chapter 14, and I think verse 18, Paul says, I spoke in tongues more than you all. So we know Paul was a tongue talker. <laughs> Amen? So there again, but here we see it being called filled. Acts chapter 10. Let's just look at, a, at two more. Acts chapter 10, verse 4 to 4. This was at Cornelius' house. Now, while, while PTS spent these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them. Now, in the other cases, we saw them, we saw nice laid hands on Paul. We saw in, in um, Acts chapter 8, when Peter and the, and the others came down, and, and the believers were in Samaria, they laid hands on them. And nice hands were laid on Paul. But here, while Peter is speaking, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them, which heard the word. The same way he fell on the day of Pentecost. Right? And then it goes on to say in verse 46, in verse 46, they all heard them speaking with tongues and magnifying God. So here's another case of being filled. They call it the Holy Ghost falling on them, and we see the evidence of speaking in tongues. One more, Acts chapter 19. And by the way, if you look at these passages, it's not, you know, this, this is Acts chapter 19, the church in Ephesus. We're not talking about five, ten years in between. We're talking about a couple of decades in between. The day of Pentecost and, 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 and the Ephesians church in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, reading verse 1 to 6. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passing, passed through the upper coast, skip, 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 verse 4, verse 2. And he said unto them, he came across some believers. He's finding certain disciples. They were born again. The same way you have folks in various denominations that are born again, but they're not filled with the Holy Ghost. So it's like Paul came across some of those, those and he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized you with the baptism of repentance. Um, saying unto the people that they should believe on him 
which should come after, the, after him, that is in Christ Jesus. And they heard this. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Born again for sure. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Amen? So those are just five records of people being, of this experience that people had after they were born again, the, the experience that has to do, uh, and that group, the group in Acts chapter 1, we know they got born again in John chapter 20, verse 22, when Jesus says, receive the Holy Ghost. Amen? Hallelujah. Because before the day of Pentecost, they certainly believed that Jesus Christ was raised up from the dead. Did they not? Did they confess Jesus as Lord? Well, isn't that what gets you saved? So they were saved before the day of Pentecost, but the day of Pentecost was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So here are five records of people being baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost falling on them, however you want to call it, but an experience that there was in addition to the new birth. Amen? There are many, many reasons for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We don't have time to get into that right now. But let's, let's continue. Let's go back to, to John chapter 16. So, in John chapter 16, as, as Jesus has said in verse 6, it is, a, it is for your advantage, in verse 7, it is for your advantage that I go away. It is for your benefit. Because if I don't go away, the comfort of the Holy Ghost can come. But if I go, I will send him. And when he's come, he's going to convict the word of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And then in verse 13, now, but when he says you convict the world, that wasn't the believer. That's the world. Right? Now, you and I that are believers, we were once the world. And so we did go through that process where we were convicted of, of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and we believed that Jesus was raised up from the dead, and we got saved. But once that's done, what happened? What is his ministry to us? Verse 13. How did, when he, the spirit of truth, say reality, when he, the spirit of reality, has come, he will guide you into all reality. Into all reality. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He will show you reality. <laughs> Amen? Praise God. Your natural mind will know reality. The natural mind does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They foolishness unto him. But they are spiritually discerned. Hallelujah. He shall glorify me because he will receive what's mine and show it to you. All things that the Father had are mine, Jesus says. Therefore, I say to you, he will take what's mine and he will show it to you. Because what's mine is yours. Amen. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to take what belongs to Jesus and reveal it unto us because it belongs to us. He's the spirit of reality, which means what? He is to take what Jesus has done and make it our reality. Make it real to us. Give us revelation of it. The Bible says he is the anointing that teaches us all things. Jesus said he will lead us and guide us into all truth. He will teach us all things. John 14, 26 and so on. So he, he first of all opens up our understanding and gives us revelation. You see, he's a great communicator, and he can communicate something even if we're a little bit slow. He'll stay with us until we, until he get the job done. Mm -hmm. Amen. He is great. He is the greatest communicator. He will give you revelation. He does require some cooperation from us, but he will not only give us revelation, but he also want to give us the experience of what Jesus has accomplished. Whether it be that Jesus has accomplished um, your freedom from fear. 
whether it be Jesus' accomplished, your healing and your deliverance, whatever the case, that whatever belongs to you, all that Jesus said, Jesus said, he will take what's mine and he will make it real to you. Amen? The Bible says the Holy Spirit, um, he's the one that performs miracles. He's the one that perfects that which concerns us. He's the one that, he also produces a transformation in our lives. So that we can go from one place of glory to another place of glory. Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit, for understand this, the Holy Spirit ministry to the believer is to take the things that are of Christ and make them real to us. Now, what happens is this. As we get to verse 13, what happens is that when you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then his ministry to us is amplified. When someone does not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so to speak, right? They're born again, but they don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The magnitude of uh, uh, the, the, the amplification, they don't have the amplification where the Holy Spirit is able to work with them and to bring them into certain realities. Whether it be revelation knowledge or whether it be the experience of certain truths. And, I mean, this is not a nice thing to say, but it's still very much the truth. You do not find manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Ghost and the raising of the dead and, and divine healing and, and deliverance and stuff like that in ministries where they don't have the Holy Ghost. You go into a church where there isn't the presence of the Holy Spirit, you can feel it in the atmosphere. Amen? Right? Because it is that significant. Now, um, the, the, having said that, there is a cooperation that we need, that the Holy Spirit requires of us. That we, we, we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to something we know. Um, because after all, there's nothing that is going to be done in your life except by the Holy Spirit. It's not flesh. It is by the Holy Spirit's operation through us that we even get results. The Bible says what God has given unto us, 2 Timothy 1 verse 14, we are able to keep by the Holy Ghost. In other words, the very things that God has placed in your spirit, you cannot even keep them, possess them, manifest them without the Holy Ghost. All of our victory is connected to the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. Now, for that reason, turn with Ephesians chapter 5. Glory to God. Ephesians chapter 5. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit amplifies the effectiveness of his ministry in our lives when we are baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Why would I want to be, I mean, why, why would I want to not to be in that place where I'm born again, but I can have the Holy Spirit magnify his work in my life and through me and not want it. The Bible speaks in Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 11. It says, you earthly fathers, we know how to give our children good gifts. If they ask for a stone, we're not going to give... We ask, if they ask for an egg, we're not going to give them a serpent. If they ask for bread, we're not going to give them a stone. And then it says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And he was talking about his children. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God to his children. It says in John chapter 14, verse 17... Jesus says, the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality, whom the world cannot receive. Because it, know, it sees him not, nor knows him not. 
The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit, but they can receive Jesus. God so loved the world, he gave them Jesus. Jesus is a gift to the world, but the Holy Spirit is a gift to God, to his children. Amen? I'm on the, and I'm not just talking about being sealed or being born again. I'm talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And again, now we're talking about here you are, you're a believer. You have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God has given you the baptism of the Holy Spirit so you can cooperate with the Holy Ghost and you can get more done. All right. Now, I'm shifting this a little bit, and I'm not just talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit now. I'm shifting to being filled with the Spirit. It says in verse 18, verse 17, Wherefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's another word that says, be being filled, present continuous. Present continuous. In other words, then, we, we can be filled or we cannot be filled. Being born again and baptized with the Holy Ghost don't mean you're going to just stay. It, it doesn't, doesn't, you might be filled in the moment you're born, you're, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you got to keep being filled. We saw in the book of Acts, they got filled in chapter 2. We saw them getting the same group, getting filled again in, in Acts chapter 4. I believe the Word of God is teaching us here that you and I are to continually being filled. And it tells us how. Be filled with the Spirit speaking. Speaking. Well, for one thing, we are able to speak in tongues. One of the reasons for tongues, yes, it is to communicate with God. Yes, it is to be able to help you to pray about things that you don't know what to pray for as you ought. But it is also for the purpose of building you up, and it is a means by which you can keep filled. It's not the only means, but it is a very significant means. And God is saying, God commands us here to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 7, Jesus says, come on to me and drink, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, I say that to say this. He didn't say, come on to me and think. He says, come to me and what? Drink, not think. But the thing is that you see, <laughs> when you drink, you're going to think better. <laughs> Amen? When you don't drink and you don't have that drink of the Holy Ghost and you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, then your thinking, your thinking is not in the place where it needs to be. Because ultimately, he is bringing you into righteousness. He is bringing you to operate in oneness with God. He wants you to operate with the mind of Christ. He wants you to see as God sees. Think as God thinks. Talk as God talk, talks. He wants to bring you into the reality of this righteousness. The reality of who you are. Bring you into the reality of righteousness. By virtue of the sacrifice, which is to say, make you free from all your history. <coughs> which is to say, bring you into a place of no condemnation, no shame, no, 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 none of that stuff. As if sin has never been. Bring you to the place where you know your authority. Just think about Peter for a moment. And I, we don't have enough time, I would love to read it. But you go to the book of Acts and read some of those messages that Peter preached. Right? Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to verse um, 41, where, 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 where on the day of Pentecost, when the people heard that were from various, about 17 different <coughs> dialects and languages that they represented, or more, and they all heard the, the, the folks that were filled with the Holy Ghost that day speaking, and they heard it in their own language. And some of them began to say, these men are drunk. And Peter stood up. And Peter says, no, these men are not drunk. 
And then Peter says, this is that which was spoken about by the prophet Isaiah, uh, Joel. And, uh, that that uh, report my spirit for an office, and Peter preached a message. But in that message, if you read the message, you never hear Peter saying, you know what? I, I'm saying this to you, but I want you to receive this as the word of God. And I don't want you to think about the fact that I was the one that denied Christ three times. In fact, he didn't even interject himself anywhere in that message. Peter was there preaching, and, and to, I mean, there was, I mean, it wasn't very long ago. It was probably about 50 days ago that he denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Isn't that right? Right? But here Peter is preaching, and Peter is preaching with such fire, with such clarity. The scriptures are being brought to his remembrance from the book of Joel and from Isaiah and, and, and from the Psalms. This is with that which David spoke about. I do not leave my soul in Sheol. I mean that Peter is that Peter became another man. You see, the issue of being filled with the Holy Spirit is about being saturated with the Holy Ghost. Amen? And, and what happened? Peter was functioning in such a manner that he forgot his failures. He forgot who he was. Jesus says, I came to die that you might live. And Paul says, I die daily. There is a part of us, that, which is the reality of crucifixion, that literally ceases, ceases to exist so that we can be consumed and saturated with Christ. And that is why even as, as those that are baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues, we must not be satisfied with where we are, but we must endeavor to be continually filled with the Spirit and to be saturated with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost wants to move you and I into reality. Peter was brought into the reality of the freedom from his failures, the freedom from his past. God wants to bring us into the reality of just exactly what the blood has accomplished. What, what, what the, the reality of this authority that we have, Jesus, what, what Jesus has, has done for us. Bring us into that freedom from guilt and condemnation. How many today fall on another weight of guilt and condemnation? You know, it's very interesting that in Hebrews chapter 10, it's all about being free from sin consciousness. In Hebrews chapter 10. And then the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11 is now faith is. Isn't that interesting? Amen? And actually, if you go back in Hebrews chapter 10, around verse 22, it says about, about our conscience, uh, uh, in verse 9, chapter 9, verse 14, our conscience being purged from every dead work. And then again, in Hebrews chapter 10, and I think verse Verse 22, it speaks about, about being, being, being purged from an evil conscience. And then it moves us into Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Is there a connection between this freedom from sin consciousness and operating in faith? Look at how Peter was operating. How did that happen? It was the Holy Ghost in his life that brought him into this place of reality where you and I need to be beaten with the reality of the freedom from guilt and condemnation and, and all of that and the authority that we have, which is the very essence of righteousness, must become ours. The spirit of truth, ultimate reality. The Holy Spirit, I'm just going to say a couple of things. As I said, he needs our cooperation. He needs us to yield to him. I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes we might start off just saying, praise you, Jesus. Lord, I worship you. And you might do that from your will. But as you yield to the Holy Spirit, who knows where that's going to go? Speak it to themselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking. Speaking. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. 
speaking in tongues, and so on and so forth. He needs you to yield to him. He needs you to be filled, to be saturated. He needs you. In Acts chapter 13, verse 53 says, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. There is a joy that is connected with being filled with the Holy Ghost. We can just decide, you know what? We're filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to be filled. And we can just start, ha, 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 ha. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And it might be, you might start off in the flesh. But you, you yield to the Holy Ghost. And who knows what's going to erupt. Amen. You know, um, I, 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 I'm just going to make a couple of statements just to at least stimulate your mind and to provoke you. To provoke you to desire to be saturated. Say saturated. Saturated. Right? It was it was Smith Wigglesworth, the man that I understand raised, raised about 20 so many people from the dead. He said that there are certain gifts and callings of God that are not going to be activated until you are saturated. That's what he said. There are gifts, whether it be the, the gift of faith that raises the dead or some other gifts that will not be activated and certain callings until we are in this place where we're saturated. He also said that we that um, we were commanded, we are commanded to be saturated with the Holy Spirit, and listen to this, to the degree that we fall short of being of, of, of this saturation point, to that same degree, we also fall short of the plan of God for our lives. Now I'm not quoting this as scripture. I'm saying this is what Smith Wigglesworth, a man that raised when the stomach people from the dead said. I don't know about you, but I, I, I won't mind talking to him, or at least considering what he says. He also said that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not be confused, and you will know the plan of God for your life. Sometimes people are so confused about this or about that. It, could it be because they're just not saturated? <laughs> Amen? He will show you things to come. That's called, that's his plan being revealed, unveiled, reality. He also said you cannot apprehend, you know the scripture in Philippians, that we might apprehend that for which we are also apprehended. He put it this way. He said you cannot apprehend Jesus to the, or rather you can apprehend Jesus to the degree that you are filled, to the degree that you are saturated. He also said that when you are filled, you start seeing. The things that you couldn't see, you begin to see different. Visions and dreams and seeing the word and seeing yourself in God the way you're supposed to be. Those things become alive. And then here in closing, he said the only safeguard from falling back to your natural mind is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, we have this way of slipping right back into that carnality. Slipping back into the way natural people think. Rather than setting your affections and your mind on the things above. Rather than looking on to Jesus, we look away from. And then what happens? We become weighed down, oppressed, depressed, discouraged, and everything else, and we begin to faint. Why? Because of not operating in that mind of Christ. The Spirit of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this invitation for us to be filled and saturated with the Holy Ghost is so that we might come into this place of righteousness. That we might be established in that mind thinking like him, that we be established 
functioning, that we will become lost, and it's not us, but it's Christ that lives in us, and our life is beginning to flow and emanate. It's so that we would be in that place of right standing, no guilt and condemnation and insecurity and inferiority because the blood and the sacrifice of Christ has paid the price, so that we could be in that place where we know the authority that is in the name of Jesus. Such as I have, give I unto thee, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Amen? The life of the believer, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer, operate with me. Be filled. Don't grieve me. Don't quench me. Yield to me. Be filled. Be being filled and saturated with the Holy Ghost. Come and drink, not think. <laughs> Say drink. Drink. Say drink. Drink. Glory to God that's them. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. They were filled with joy and the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. And he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Think about it. Jesus, <laughs> let me ask you something. Was Jesus born again? Right? All his life did he have the Spirit of God? Of course, from his mother's womb, was did he not? So you, if you want to say Jesus born again, Jesus was. I mean, you know, the Son of God, the Son of Man, he was. But Jesus didn't do one miracle until after he was baptized with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that right? Yes. Not one miracle until Luke 4 when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he had anointed me after he came back from the wilderness. And he was baptized. Isn't that right? Well, if that was if Jesus needed that, and he said, I can't of myself do nothing, and he was certainly born again, how much more us that we will need that power of the Holy Ghost? So that thank God we're born again and we have a ticket to heaven. Thank God we're born again and our sins are washed away. But how much more should we go further? And be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And then be being filled continually. By keep drinking that presence of God. Keep healing. Keep singing. Keep praising. Emptying yourself of yourself. <laughs> and let the Holy Ghost help you. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Let's have a seat. I know we've got some other business to do today. So I should... Be respectful of the time. Hallelujah. Anyway, let's take this opportunity and bless the Lord with our giving. And again, I just want to remind you, give in faith. Give because you love God, yes. Give because in righteousness, because it's the right thing to do to support the work of the Lord. And as the Bible says, if you partake of, our, of, of the spiritual things, it's okay to share the carnal things. If you partake of the word of God, it's okay. For you, it's right and okay and appropriate for you to share your finances in the word. Give for those reasons, but also give in faith. Give because the word of God give with the expectation that it is given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and one and over. Don't let your seed travel alone. I wrap it up in faith. Expect a return. Expect the blessing of the Lord. Expect the favor of God. Expect open doors. Expect that, that God shall supply all of your need in any area. According to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Expect that it will be given back to you. Good measure. Press down, shaking together and running over. Men is going to give into your bosom. 
Expect and believe that he will cause all grace to abound towards you, so that you would have all sufficiency and abound unto every good work. Faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God says that it is blessed, your, your giving is blessed to give. Amen? There's a blessing on your giving, and it comes back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Praise the name of the Lord. If you need an envelope, indicate by raising your hands. Praise God. Hallelujah.